0: There's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. Hello and welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. As the street reopens to visitors from around the world, we invite you to listen back to our episode about how Fred Heyman made Rodeo Drive a world-class shopping destination by opening Giorgio Beverly Hills. We originally published this episode in May 2020. Since then, the city of Beverly Hills honored Giorgio with the Golden Shield Award. This award recognizes the boutique as an emblematic institution that contributed to the city's cultural heritage.
1: Giorgio of Beverly Hills is where I first really fell in love with the theater of retail the flow of people and the glamour and the idea of being in the extension of someone's living room. that really had a profound impact on what I thought the luxury experience was about.
2: And so he picked a name, Giorgio. It was going to be something that had a European flair to it. And that's really as simple as that.
3: Giorgio smelt extraordinarily modern, It smelt like nothing that had been smelt before. It smelt of money. It smelt of richness. And it drove the world mad.
0: Giorgio was founded in the early 1960s in Beverly Hills and helped put Los Angeles on the map as a fashion capital. It innovated much that is considered modern in high fashion today. Along the way, Giorgio also had its shares of ups and downs. But before we tell Giorgio's story, let's visit Rodeo Drive right now. On Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, the city has shut down restaurants, bars, and retail shops, all non-essential businesses, including spas and hair salons, massage parlors, nail salons. also. Life changed for everybody in early 2020 with the arrival of the coronavirus pandemic. All Rodeo Drive stores had to shut their doors. Now, retailers are beginning to welcome people back. It's a time of re-emergence and renewal. Some stores are now open for in-store shopping. Many are offering curbside pickup. Let's check in with Kathy Gohari and Nicola Cagliotta of the Rodeo Drive Committee, which represents retailers on the street. Kathy is Valentino's Director of Client Engagement
4: this is a bit new for us all, you know? Um, For luxury business, things don't always get done this way. You drive up to the store, we're fully equipped between the gloves, the masks. We even have these things that are very cool. They're very Star Trek-ish. There are UV wands that basically sanitize anything uh, within 10 seconds. We're all reinventing ourselves by the second. Every second is a new experience. But there's still something with human touch and human contact, you know. I am notorious for staring at a hemline and telling you it's just wrong. That's something that I can't offer at curbside, you know. I can't do it even virtually. People don't just buy products. They buy emotions and feelings and experience and trust.
0: That's Kathy Gohari. Nicola Cagliotta is the regional manager for the Swiss luxury watch brand, Jaeger LeCoultre. He says that community is at the heart of what makes Rodeo Drive, Rodeo Drive.
5: I would say that Rodeo Drive is a very small and needed community, but I will expand that and I would say that Beverly Hills is a very small and needed community where you feel like you're part of a family. You truly, truly, truly feel like you're part of something special something unique that i don't think it's easy to find
3: anywhere else in the world
0: so back in the early 60s rodeo drive was a village in that village fred and gail Heyman created a retail phenomenon giorgio beverly hills giorgio was swanky the women's clothes were sleek the men's clothes were sexy yet rigorously tailored The world noticed Giorgio because celebrities shopped there in droves. Giorgio brought the fashion world experience retail, as well as the first independent fashion perfume, and long before Juicy Couture, the dressy tracksuit. Cameron Silver recalls experiencing Giorgio's atmosphere as a child. Now, he owns Decades, the West Hollywood Vintage Clothing Store, and is the fashion director of the H. By Halston brand.
1: Georgia of Beverly Hills is where I first really fell in love with the theater of retail. I can remember going in there with my parents, uh, probably during sales season, And being so mesmerized by the flow of people and the glamour and the idea of being in the extension of someone's living room, it really had a a profound impact on what I thought the luxury experience was about.
0: How was it an extension of someone's living room?
1: Well, my memories of Giorgio are that there was a pool table and some type of bar. It didn't feel like you were in a store. It felt much more like a club or a home or something very rarefied. Yet at the same time, there was an accessibility to Giorgio at the same time.
0: Let's hear Giorgio's story, starting with Fred's son, the businessman, Robert Heyman, and Rose Apodaca. Rose is the owner of the downtown LA design store, A Plus R. She is the author of Fred Heyman, The Extraordinary Difference, the story of Rodeo Drive,
6: Hollywood Glamour, and the showman who sold it all. Mr. Heyman came out from New York to Los Angeles, and specifically Beverly Hills, Uh, on the invitation of Conrad Hilton to open up the Beverly Hilton. His background was in hospitality. And so when he invested $12,000 in this little shop in 1961, it was to help out a friend who wasn't doing so well with a store that was owned by a gentleman named George Grant, who was, uh, like Fred, an immigrant to the U.S., Um, But George had tried his hand at westerns in the movies because he could also ride horses. That didn't work out. So he decided to open up this little shop.
2: George was the guy who put the whole deal together. It was his idea, his vision, his inspiration. Uh, And so he picked a name, Giorgio. It was going to be something that had a European flair to it. And that's really as simple as that. Now, the original store was actually on Dayton, which which is just off of Rodeo Drive. uh, and. Uh, it ultimately grew uh, onto Rodeo Drive. But Rodeo Drive at the time was sleepy. It was a quiet town. It was, uh, it was very family-oriented. There was a gas station. There was a parking lot. There was an American Savings and Loan. FAO Schwartz was on the street.
6: Beverly Hills was very much like a little village. But, of course, the locals were actors like Steve McQueen and Peggy Lipton. What we saw happening when Fred set up shop and others, uh were these independent boutiques uh that started opening. Rogero Drive had important stores before it in the 1950s, but really it was in the 60s where you had stores like Paraphernalia, where Peggy Lipton uh was shopping, and Jack's, where Peggy Moffett, the uh, you know famous uh model, uh, she worked there, or Papagaya where Francesco Hilton, who was uh Jaja Gabor's only daughter, worked. Uh, Vidal Sassoon set up a salon there. Gene Chakov, who was the uh, you know inspiration behind the movie Shampoo, he not only opened up uh, his own salon, but he and Tony Curtis opened up a club in uh, 1968 or so called The Candy Store. And in fact, Rodeo Drive towards the late 60s had a, a few of these sort of members only nightclubs where people like Steve McQueen and Mia, Mia Farrow and Nancy Sinatra used to hang out. So, so really what you saw was quite quickly in the 60s it becoming a really, really chic and hip spot to, uh, to hang out and party and to shop. And, you know, Giorgio was very much a part of that scene. By
0: 1965, Fred Heyman left high-class hospitality behind. He bought out his Giorgio partners, then he and Gail, his third wife, turned
6: Giorgio into a boutique powerhouse. Gail and Fred met at the end of '62, actually, when she had applied to become a waitress at uh, the Hilton. And uh, they, within a few months, started dating. And a couple years after that, they married. And Gail, from what uh, Mr. Heyman described, was quite a beautiful, ambitious woman. She loved leopard, red lipstick. Uh, she really had an eye for fashion.
0: They added 10,000 square feet to their original 600 square foot
6: space. They added yellow and white signature awnings and a bar. They had a full-time bartender at this magnificent oak bar that not only served alcohol, but also had this beautiful copper cappuccino machine. And by the way, I just want to footnote that with the fact that there were no Starbucks or anything else during the 70s and 80s where you could just grab a cappuccino. So this was considered very, you know, fabulous that you could go there for that. He had a 1952 Silver Rolls Royce to deliver not only the client's purchases, but also the client's if maybe they had a little too much at the bar that day. So it was really this pioneering concept in retailtainment, you know, something that we've become so used to hearing about in the modern retail age, but really it was quite, quite a breakthrough at that time.
2: I was a bartender for a good part of my younger days. And some of the most fun times were we saw the Rolling Stones come in one day. Charles Bronson was a big celebrity who came in quite frequently with his wife. Uh, and he would play pool and he would sit down at the autograph uh, area in front of the fireplace. And sometimes he'd come up to the bar He was very quiet, but he was an interesting guy. There was a a, a very interesting uh, uh, gentleman named Reverend Ike. And Reverend Ike was a preacher, uh, and he was a preacher, I believe, to the black community, but he was also very well-known. He was on TV, and he always came with an entourage of people uh, in a, a stretch limousine with another one or two cars with him, and they parked on the side, and no matter how many parking tickets, they, got, they just kept getting the parking tickets.
0: Giorgio's heady atmosphere generated buzz. One day, Aldo Gucci walked in and looked around. That visit is said to have prompted Gucci to open a Rodeo Drive shop in 1977. Soon, the finest names in European luxury lined Rodeo Drive, like Van Cleef & Arpels, Celine, and Dior. Rodeo Drive was still merely three blocks, but it was becoming a name rivaling the world's famous luxury thoroughfares, like New York's Fifth Avenue and New Bond Street in London. Meanwhile, Fred and Gail Heyman were legitimizing American fashion as luxury. They supported homegrown designers like Bob Mackie, Halston, and Diane von Furstenberg. And European avant-garde fashion lent Giorgio a chic factor. There was Chloe by Karl Lagerfeld. From London, there was Thea Porter and one of Bianca Jagger's
4: favorite designers, Zandra Rhodes. I made wonderful chiffon fantasy dresses. Every one of them's hand printed with a special message in it and the sashes And they were renowned for being on wonderful people like the gorgeous Contessa and the Beverly Hills people. And the the one that you always remember is also the one that was on the front cover of the Donna Summers album. I mean, I was a regular into Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area, and started selling to the Magical Giorgio at that time. And of course... They were renowned, I think, for starting off the way the perfume also happened, because they were selling the pieces in Vogue, which sort of caught fire and really lit up the magical world of Beverly Hills, I think.
0: Georgia was by no means the only independent boutique operating on Rodeo Drive during its heyday. There were others like Jerry Magnin, Lena Lee, and Theodore. But Giorgio innovated experience retail. Then it took its heady, luxuriant atmosphere into the stratosphere when it introduced its infamous perfume.
4: Live the life. Giorgio Beverly Hills.
0: A chance encounter between Fred Heyman and a former Revlon executive, Jim Roth, started it all. His business partner, David Horner, picks up the story.
5: Jim Roth, my partner, was in the shoe repair store one day and ran into Fred, and Fred said, you know, uh, Gail, my wife, has been bothering me to do another fragrance, and I hear you two guys have left Max Factor. Let's have a meeting. So we went and we had a meeting, and Jimmy came back to the office and told me about doing another fragrance. And I said, that's the silliest idea I've ever heard. (laughs) But we went to the meeting anyway. And also, when we apprised the Haymans of what it would cost to do a fragrance in the traditional way, Fred wasn't anxious to invest that kind of money. And so we went back and said, hey, what can we do to craft something for the store? Uh, and with a limited amount of PR and other activity, we can get some national publicity. Uh At that time, the only way you could sample a fragrance was to go into the department store and smell it. Uh, we were approached by the 3M company, who we knew from our previous employment, and uh, were shown a technique they were working on which encapsulated fragrance and allowed you to rip it off a piece of paper. It later came to be known as the scent strip.
0: Had this been done before with other perfumes, or was Roggio one of the first? No, never. never. Really?
5: No, never.
0: So, so what gave you the idea that this was a good idea?
5: Uh, I, when people ask me numerous times about, you know, why we were successful and why it became as successful as it is, I have referred to our whole episode as the genius of poverty.
0: The stroke of genius was the pioneering use of the scent strip, or a blotter on a magazine advertisement. The scent strip meant that readers could take a whiff of the perfume. That made Giorgio sought after. Fred Heyman revealed to Woman's Wear Daily that 30 to 40 million people smelt Giorgio from the scent strips. The milliner Stephen Jones was one of them, as he flew first class from London to Montreal.
4: And just as we were coming into land, I saw that there was a copy of American Vogue in the back of the seat in front of me. So I picked that up and I saw this thing. I'd never seen it before. And it said, to experience Georgia Beverly Hills, lift this flap and rub your wrist on it. So I lifted the flap and, of course, released onto my wrist and into the entire airplane, this huge cloud of Georgia Beverly Hills. Unbeknown to me, I was being met by the High Commissioner of Canada as well, and so I was offering my right hand to them. It, of course, clouded in, in Giorgio Beverly Hills. So
0: how did Team Giorgio cook up the perfume? David Horner says they reached out to their buddy, Jack Friedman. Friedman ran Florisynth, one of the leading flavor and fragrance companies.
5: Well I called up Florisynth and said, hey... <laughs> We're doing a fragrance for Giorgio Beverly Hills. And they said, what's Giorgio Beverly Hills? And in any event, after we got through explaining it to them, <laughs> the president of the florist said, oh, I'm not doing fragrance for a store. But I've had a fragrance on the shelf for a number of years. Estee Lauder turned it down. Charles Robson turned it down. And it is the best fragrance ever. And if you want a fragrance, take this damn fragrance. <laughs> so we took the fragrance and we brought it back. and the truth of the story is, I smelled it, and I said, oh, my God. And I gave it to my secretary, and it so happened that she and I were going out to lunch. We got in the elevator, and four guys said to her, what are you wearing? And I said to her, give me back the sample. And I, I then took it to my wife, who was French and a former Dior model, and I gave this to her. And she said to me in her best French, oh, chérie, c'est de vrai merde. I, mean, I called up Jimmy, and I said, it's a winner. And he said, well, why do you know it's a winner? I said, because Katrine hates it. <laughs> so then we took it in to Gail, who hated it equally, and started showing it to her friends, you know, Grace Robbins, you know, all, all the people who came in the store, Judith Krantz. So she would come back, and she would say to me, you know, we can fix this, and we put a little verbena in it. So I had a cord of it in, in the office. And I would take out a new label and I would write Giorgio Fragrance with Ravina and I would take it back to her. And I showed her the same fragrance 22 times.
0: Finally, they agreed on the perfume and launched it at a glittering party in a parking lot across the street from Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Giorgio the perfume became a global sensation. So, what was so seductive about it? Roger Dove is a perfumer and fragrance historian. To him, Giorgio was the perfume that summed up the 1980s in a crystal bottle.
3: Giorgio smelt extraordinarily modern. It smelt like nothing that had been smelt before. It smelt of money. It smelt of richness. Uh, And it was a modern reinterpretation, in my opinion, of a very old classic called Fracca, but done in a way like we'd never ever seen. And it drove the world mad. How? (laughs) Uh, Because everybody wanted it. I think the world was obsessed uh, with America at this moment in time and the whole idea of Beverly Hills suggested richness, money, uh, a lifestyle that millions of people would aspire to and it was such a distinctive scent. It was maybe one of the most distinctive scents ever made. That was its point. You were either part of the group that wore it or you weren't. And if you were, you loved it and you reveled in it. Uh, The thing that lots of people didn't like about it was that it was such an enormous perfume that if you walked in somewhere wearing it, everybody smelt it. And so in the end, it became uh, the world's first perfume to be banned from lots of restaurants all around the world because it was omnipotent.
0: (laughs) Sort of like a perfume version of padded shoulders, like Joan Collins.
3: 100%. Well, that's that's exactly what it was. I mean, it was the the perfumery equivalent of Dynasty in Dallas, which everybody was hooked on. Um, and so I always say the perfumes b- became as big as the shoulder pads. And it was also a decade, I think, where uh, the thing of women really started to make a, a, a mark they, for themselves. You know, We saw in Britain you have Margaret Thatcher. She showed that you could. First uh, woman prime minister in Britain. All around the world, uh, this thing of women wanting to enter the boardroom to prove they could, quite rightly. And that's what this perfume was all about.
0: Giorgio Beverly Hills' The Perfume became a blockbuster. But the perfume ultimately led to the end of Giorgio, the boutique. In 1987, Fred and Gail Heyman sold the perfume for $165 million to Avon. The Giorgio brand went along with it. Fred and Gail went their separate ways. By now, Fred could have gone down in history as the godfather of Rodeo Drive from the vantage point of his Malibu beach houses. But he still owned the Rodeo Drive real estate where Giorgio stood. So he opened up his own shop, he called it Fred Heyman, and he became a fashion consultant for the Oscars. And then Louis Vuitton came calling. Leasing the property where Giorgio once stood, Louis Vuitton opened its sleek, Peter Marino-designed flagship in 1999, which now serves as a gateway to Rodeo Drive. Fred Heyman was a retail visionary and a great businessman. Few in fashion are blessed with the combination of those character traits, says his son, Robert Heyman.
2: One of the things about my dad that I've always really admired is that he, a lot of people are either very, very creative or they're very analytical. Not many people can be very creative and also very analytical. He was one of those few individuals. Uh, He was great when it came to ideation or thinking about new ways and better ways of doing things, Uh, definitely thinking out of the box, but he was also really good when it came to numbers. And if you ever saw his books and the way he arranged things uh, and and worked with the accountants, uh, it's pretty admirable.
0: Walk down Rodeo Drive today and you will find all of the fabulous names in luxury. They owe their place to the once quirky little store named Giorgio, says Cameron Silver.
1: I mean, LV is a, it's like a a temple. It's so huge. And to think that there was once this quirky independent store that helped build Rodeo Drive. And I also start to think about all those other stores that existed on Rodeo Drive, like Mr. Guy, or I think about doing Cotillion at the Daisy Club on Rodeo Drive, or the Luau, these wonderful, unique experiences. So, of course, we have LV in the place where Fred Heyman opened Giorgio, and um, I think we just have to recognize that Giorgio really helped put Rodeo Drive, celebrity, high fashion, and uh, really that sort of the Southern California lifestyle on the global map.
0: Where do you think Rodeo Drive can go in the future?
1: It's a, it, this is a very interesting question to think about Rodeo Drive in the future, um, especially at this particularly confusing moment. People desire community. It's very difficult not to be able to have community as we know it at this moment. But I think Rodeo Drive can continue to be this destination that provides community. I don't know what that looks like, but uh, I, I would love to see there be a little bit more of a balance and a little quirk. I think that's what Rodeo Drive could use, again, as a little quirk.
0: Why was the quirk so fabulous?
1: Because quirk isn't ubiquitous.
0: So will the quirk come back to Rodeo Drive? Certainly there are plenty of ideas percolating for the glorious palm-lined thoroughfare. You will hear about them on future episodes of this podcast. For now, let's close with a thought from Robert Heyman.
2: When I passed by Louis Vuitton today, A number of things go through my mind. But I think about how the street has really evolved. And I wonder to myself, where is the future with Rodeo Drive? As wonderful as it's been in the past, what's it going to be like in the future?
0: Robert Heyman is the son of Fred Heyman who founded Giorgio Beverly Hills. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Next week, a look back at another visionary Rodeo Drive retailer
1: My name is Bijan. I have been designing clothing since I was 15. My clothing is made in wonderful country of Italy. I have 40,000 clients. Many are the most powerful men in the world. Majesties, royal family, Forbes billionaires. I I have dressed 36 different presidents all over the world. I happen to be the most expensive clothing designer in the world. I am sorry for that.
0: This episode of Rodeo Drive, the podcast is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. Rodeo Drive, the podcast is written by Francis Anderton with editing and audio production by Avishai Artsy. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Manduel and Callie McConnell are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See you on the street.